Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. And that's Ryan. (laughs) I mean, I'm Ian. (laughs) And on this episode, uh, we will be reviewing and I'll be talking about uh, Pandemic, the Fall of Rome. Ryan? The Lost Ruins of Arnak. (laughs) And completely out of sequence, Ian. Uh, We're going to go with Vegas Showdown. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They are the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada, and they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Amazing stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture, and we're going straight into what have you been thinking, doing, playing board games. And uh, Ryan, start us (laughs) up, man. You got it. There's. Should we, you got should we this. start off with? Should we start off with what grinds my gears? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm looking at the notes here, and I'm seeing quite the rant. So I'm, uh, not, I'm fired up. I had, I had Roll up your sleeves, down. man. Yeah, talking about sleeves. Um, <laughs> so if people know, and I've mentioned this before, that I like to sleeve my cards, but what people really don't know is that I I sleeve my cards, but I've only sleeved like select games in my in my collection for 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 card sleeves um for example the ones off the top of my head are um seven wonders because my cards were we we play that game so much that the cards are some of them are actually like starting to like bend and fall apart (laughs) and so seven wonders is sleeved clank is sleeved because it's a deck building game we played it quite a bit and the card stock quality on clank is not the greatest um, and then my Marvel Champions and my Arkham Horror collections, um, the whole collections aren't sleeved. It's actually only the cards that I'm actually using uh, at the given time. Like my hero decks are, are sleeved. Everything else is not sleeved in, in, in those. And really that's all that, that's, that's sleeved in my collection when I was trying to come up with this. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite games of all time, Scythe. Like I've deluxified it and blinged it out and everything. I don't have those cards in sleeves. Because I, I really don't see the point in sleeving those particular cards because they're not handled readily all the time. Yeah, yeah. And so I was kind of cruising the Board Game Geek forums. Actually, I think it was a Facebook post, actually. one uh, um, Somebody had posted um, a comment about how beautiful and wonderful the insert for parks. We've mentioned this before, how wonderful mm-hmm. the parks insert is. It is really good. And the forum post or the discussion got hijacked by some, I don't know, the keyboard warriors of the day saying that the insert for parks was absolutely garbage because the insert did not fit the cards when they got put into sleeves. Which got me thinking, I'm like, (laughs) why do you need to sleeve the cards in parks? They're not, Ian's probably got the most experience with the game. You don't handle those cards no, like often so purchase them and put them in front of you you pretty much you're not shuffling them you're not fiddling with them or anything like that and so they were like attacking the company game trays because they say well game trays never never creates their inserts to fit sleeved cards and publishers need to uh, need need to a company for us people who like to sleeve our cards and i'm like come on guys um <laughs> publishers are not going to um accustomed to a niche a fraction of a fraction of board gamers sleeve all of their games and those people yeah. are nuts like i say you only sleeve your cards if the game require like i only do it if the game requires 
lots of lots of handling of the cards. Deck building games are one of those um, genres where I will think about sleeving my 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 cards. And so I don't know the, like the, I don't know maybe it's just the time we're in right now, and the keyboard <laughs> warriors are all out and, out and about with uh, any type type of topic and everything. But this one really bugged me. For some odd the reason, the game companies are under no obligation, <laughs> no, to, yeah. to deal with your weird tender urge to yeah. have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, some of the yeah. third-party like uh, uh, folded spaces or something like that. Um, I think they have two versions of here's a, an insert um, uh, with regular, and here's our insert variation. If you sleeve your cards, right? So it's like if you have if you if, if your idiosyncrasies go that deep and critical, then you should pony up even more cash and go get the customed, you know, insert that that meets your sleeved card needs, right? I mean, yeah, everybody everybody's put their proper you know uh, um, uh, interests uh, on the table and and it's everything's fine. To me, it's just it's like overboard. Yeah, like is that, and this is coming from a guy. I like to sleeve cards. <laughs> Who do but, you? <laughs> but like I said, I only do it in certain situations, and I'm not going to denounce or I'm not going to poo-poo on a company for not creating an insert that does not fit sleeve cards. I'm like, well, there, there's a, there's a purpose for that. Like exactly what exactly what Ian says. <laughs> they're they're not trying to meet your needs. <laughs> so, okay, I, so I just want to. So people I, who have to sleeve everything. You don't have to sleeve everything. I just no want to point. add um, a little kind of piggyback to that because I'm staring right at the game where I did this to and, and, the, and it makes you guys shudder. Is, uh, uh, I'll be talking about it right away, but Coloma um, has a pretty nice insert that has specific places for specific things. And I thought to myself, I don't want this to be an abstract puzzle and a game. Because mm-hmm. I don't know where anything goes. So, oh, of course, me, what I did, I took that out, threw it out, and bagged everything up and threw it in. So, uh. I mean, <laughs> so this idea that these were these, like, sleeved card guys complaining about certain things, I just laugh. And I'm like, but then you probably, you and I probably. Well, it's like, there was one guy, there was one guy on the, there's one guy on the forum said that he took the parks insert and threw it away because it didn't fit his sleeved cards. I mean that's his that's his right I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. But I don't see I don't I don't see like the I, I don't know. It's a, yeah. We're, we're the also thing talking parks, the the reason the parks is so such a brilliant insert is because of how well everything fits, right? <laughs> and there's just no you can't if you did that for sleeved cards and you're assuming everybody does and then you took away what's great about the insert in the first place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Now work. I I am definitely with you on this, Ryan, but at the same time, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because yeah, I know that there's these quirks that I have about other things that like my Blu-ray collection, for example, <laughs> I won't buy box sets if each movie isn't in its own particular case. Right. And so, you know, I kind of get it, but at the same time, I wouldn't disparage uh, a game because they don't accommodate for that because I don't think it needs to be accommodated for. No, like I say, it's a it's a fraction upon a fraction of the hobbyists that right. sleeve everything and feel the urge that they need to sleeve everything. So, there's cool. my there's there's my thought of the day. We can move on. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, moving on, Ian. <laughs> Is it a rant? Like a I, you know we. We should have a rant session because that would be interesting. No, no, it's not a rant <laughs> session. Uh, I guess I, I noticed the other day that we apparently have a Discord channel that I wanted to make people aware of. Yay. Oh, yes. Um, and also, and I meant to bring this up a while ago, Board Game Geek actually went to a Discord channel a few months ago. Um, they changed it from their old geek chat chat room website where like 10 people ever went to and now it's now there's like hundreds of people at this board game geek discord so that's pretty cool you should check that out if if you're into that and yeah bridge city board gamers also popped up and yeah said, hey if, if you want to get a... on that discord you have to be you have to be in our facebook group i like the fact that it's not just the podcast like discord channel it's it's the whole bridge city board gamers community which covers the facebook community which it's like yeah well done ryan that was a that was a 
well, was a I good got my extra time. <laughs> I got my inspiration from because I'm part of the Blue Peg Pink Peg Discord channel. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of I I I, I maybe took a couple of ideas because they have they have channels. I guess they call them channels. I'm still learning Discord, yeah. <laughs> but, but they call them channels about all the different discussion topics. And like we don't have like a lot, but it's still enough. I think it covers. Yeah. But we what we want to what we wanted to cover, and I got chat rooms in there for people to join in. If you want to play like an online game, you can use our Discord channel to mm-hmm. set up, uh, and and, me, and maybe meet some people that want to play online. Like I, I um, uh, oh gosh, now I'm putting myself Ian, on the spot. What are what are some of the channel stuff that you've participated in discussions? Because I, I mean, I've put some posts in there too that I'll quickly share with you guys. Not like you know, read them out, but you know. What uh, what channels Ryan created? Sorry, what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> what what like okay the like your Discord topic? What uh, what discussions have you already gone in on? Oh, not I just noticed that I thought we should bring it up. Um, <laughs> it was it, so that for those who are uh, for those who are kind of like uh, very good Canadian tourists, that's like one of those points of interest signposts on the prairies where you kind of go <laughs> and it was a rock. <laughs> yeah there you go um the uh i saw that you put on uh, um uh, a whole bunch of uh not necessarily topic generated stuff but kind of uh, uh um thematic generated stuff like there's uh the what have you been playing lately i think you posted yeah. a version of there um uh topics are, are, are uh posted are thinking about fantastic several yeah yeah so um uh the uh i kind of got in on a couple yeah here i'll give you a list down of so we got the gaming recommendations chat yeah what you've been playing chat (laughs) the gaming recommendations that's just fuel for like (laughs) just acquisition disorder chat line (laughs) well well, we well we have well no we have a we have a channel for acquisition disorder (laughs) we got a we got a gamers garage sale um online gaming kickstarter chaos yeah, we got show off your bling because uh, uh, Jason wanted a show off your oh, bling right. channel so, yeah, that, that he could, that's a good idea. so that he can yeah, show yeah. off all his custom made inserts that well, he, he makes he, for his games. I mean, on Facebook, he was showing some of the, his game room that and shelving that he built handmade that oh. was just spectacular. Yeah. Well, and maybe I'll bring over on the board game geek when I started. I was a co starter on a uh, emoji movie game. So maybe I'll have to bring that over. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You should, uh, Ian, your uh, your game show idea. You should you should start uh, having one of those every once go. in a while. Cool. Well, um, that's yeah. I hope we get some good uh, get some good uh, uh, mileage out of the what, Discord. What are we channel. up to? We're up to we got we got eighteen members so Woo-hoo. far. All right. Cool. Well, I had mentioned uh, previously the the my kind of uh, what I've been playing lately, and that's Coloma uh, by. <sighs> designed by johnny pack oh, wait um, one of us actually played a game yeah i played a game at well <laughs> i i started playing a game started like my whole process well you know what i'll describe my process this can be part of it too so um play uh, coloma so when i get a game i've obviously researched it enough to to or you know if i'm going to purchase it i've done some research into it and uh um i've heard good things about uh, about johnny pack's past games and i've heard a lot of people talking good things about uh, Coloma, and uh, it's a um, it's it's like a worker placement action selection um, kind of rondel five events in a seat in a year kind of thing, and uh, it's very much like um, uh, uh, this, that simultaneous action selection where. If too many people go to one place, the bonus uh, um, uh, event busts. So uh, I think, um, uh, what is it? Uh, like, isn't Race for the Galaxy or something like that to that to that effect? I've heard some people make some connections to to that idea of uh, of uh, simultaneous action selection, where if there's if there's you have to try and predict what the other person is, so mm. that so that yeah. in that case you can piggyback on it, but in this case you want to be able to predict it so that you're able to gobble up the bonus action because you're the independent person doing that 
uh, action. But thematically what it is, and it's gorgeous, uh, the artist, the Miko did this art. And that was another reason from our last uh, episode about uh, our favorite artists that just pushed me over the edge to get it. <laughs> well, that was really kind of a nudge or a shove. <laughs> but uh, it's about the gold rush in the States. And um, where in a particular historical, let's say, uh, um, location, and I'm not going to go deep into it, but uh, a lot of people came for the gold rush, a lot of economies uh, happened, a lot of uh, money was to be made, a lot of conflict happened with wrestlers. So it's a really interesting um, efficiency engine. You have 15 actions in a whole game, and you got to figure out how you can get your cards with your uh, um, uh, your town builds and your tableau to start triggering cascading actions by the end of you know your 15 actions you want to start having one action cascade into you know three four events kind of thing and uh, I'm finding a lot of uh, a lot of really cool things going on in this game so my process is I take it home I read the rule book over once I watch a couple videos I set it down and I do kind of like a dry run through, you know, like a dress rehearsal. And uh, I did a couple of those and, and yeah, now I'm, I'm gonna dial this thing in a couple of times. The solo play is awesome. So I would, yeah, I'd, if that's something that you guys are interested in, um, there's, a, there's a lot of game here to explore. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely gonna come back to this in a, in a deeper uh, 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 pinpointed review so that's coloma this definitely looks like a game that i would enjoy yeah i was waiting I, for you to that i don't know that. why this isn't on my radar <laughs> i know right because because the person would need like like satellite dishes from hawaii to have this kind of radar for the so like awesome so like the, be, the the board game geek page um has that one little section where it says fans also like so like if you like yeah, this yeah. game, these are what other people like. And it's got like Circadian's First Light. I, I really enjoy that game. <laughs> Every <got> game you have. <laughs> Tapestry, the West Kingdom series. Another little game that I'm probably going to talk about in a future episode, The Magnificent. Which yeah. Is, so I was like, hmm. So I might actually enjoy this one. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely, uh, definitely having fun with this. And it's and, a Johnny Pack game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that is, uh, that's Coloma. Having fun with it. Absolutely. Lots to explore. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to go into the reviews. Ryan, hit us up with the big echo. The reviews. And if only I would spend time putting an echo on that. Um, <laughs> we're going to start off with uh, um, Ian. Give us some review. All right. So I was trying to think of what game to review. So I wanted it to be one I knew well. And... I think we're all missing things from our past right now that we can't do anymore. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I love to do is go to Vegas. And that had to having to be canceled this year. So instead, what you can do is play Vegas Showdown. So we're going to talk about Vegas Showdown a little bit. It's an older game for sure. It came out in 2005. <clears throat> it's published by Avalon Hill, which I'm pretty sure is like actually Hasbro, isn't it? I think, no, I think like that. Is, it's something like that. So, you know, kind of the big mainstream people. Uh, but it's it's excellent. <laughs> like, even now, like for 2005 game, which some people will think is ancient, but isn't really. <laughs> by, my, by my standards, it is ancient. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's an excellent game. So let's talk about it a little bit. Uh, so Vegas Showdown is designed by a guy named Henry Stern. 
Um, probably have not heard of him before. That's okay. BGG, this is his only game. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So the question mark was was relevant. There you go. Uh, it plays three to five players, and it takes about an hour to an hour and a half to play. So in Vegas Showdown, what are you doing? Well, you're building your own casino, and you're trying to get people to visit your casino, and you're trying to make money based off of that and get your casino to be famous. And you do that through auctions. So you auction for different rooms in your casino to be built. And you basically start with a blank slate and you build it up from scratch. It is a game that has features that we've seen before, but I think because it's such an older game, there's definitely going to be some influences on later games that, that I'll talk about a little bit later too. So I have the newer version of Vegas Showdown. So if we go inside out, it's got a big picture. Basically, the, the cover is a photo of the Vegas Strip. So it's got like all the famous casinos, like the MGM Grand and the, the uh, Caesars Palace and all that. You can see it all there. It like looks very glitz and glamoury, like you'd expect for Vegas. Uh, it looks really good. I like it anyway. <laughs> so if we look at the components, the player boards are a problem. They are very flimsy i'm going to show the boys on the cam here They're oh yes yes flimsy hey didn't we all play this once at uh ToonCon together yes, yes we did yeah yes, we, we did. did awesome good so yeah. we all know it yeah so the the player boards are really flimsy they're basically just folded up pieces of cardboard so you know it would be nice to get like a fuller well, one but card cardboard would be a step up from <laughs> yeah that's true it's, it's basically <laughs> shellacked paper. paper yeah um the art on the tiles i think is really cool mm -hmm. it, they've got the tiles that you can buy or like you know you can get slot machines and you can get table games and you can get uh restaurants but they've got little top down bird's eye view uh, illustrations on there that actually make it look like you know you're looking down on an actual casino so i think that's pretty cool the design of you know the main player board and like the the main board that everybody plays on and all the little scoring boards and everything like that is very vegasy like it looks really uh it looks really good it looks like you know vegas tables like roulette tables or yeah. craps tables like it, it has that felt kind of feel to it and so i think that really invokes the theme really well it has poker chips for money so this is a game where using poker chips for money actually <laughs> makes sense. Not power grid. It's not a doesn't make sense yeah, in power grid. It's not an idiosyncrasy. Yeah. So <laughs> I am okay. I like the poker chips in here because you know it's Vegas. It makes sense that the money is poker chips. The insert is probably the worst insert you can imagine. It is like actual brown cardboard, like. <laughs> with the serrated edges and everything like it's it's so awful so <laughs> don't feel bad about chucking that one feel bad about chucking the parks one but not vegas showdown all right so i i do overall like the components there's it's not perfect the player boards need some work but the overall graphic design of it i think is really cool it definitely screams vegas so if you like that awesome for the gameplay itself, the goal of the game, of course, is to build casinos. And on your player board, you've got a casino end, and you've got a hotel end. And basically, it's just a grid, and you, you want to fill up that grid. And so you're going to be adding rooms to your casino. So like the, and some can't go in others. So for yeah. example, yeah, uh, like your casino tiles, like your your crafts tables and all that, can't go into the hotel part. And then there's certain tiles like restaurants and stuff that can't go into the casino part. Then there's a middle where it's anything can go anywhere. And certain tiles are bigger than others. And so they'll fit in different spots. Others are smaller. And what you're trying to do is basically make a pathway uh, from the main entrance to the end of the hotel that you could like walk through because each tile has certain doorways that you've got to line up also. 
I thought that was so a there's very def- intriguing part of that puzzle too. Was yeah, was trying to figure that you know uh, obstacle out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry yeah, for so in- yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, that's good. So yeah, so like a like Norm was saying, there's a spatial element to there that's pretty neat actually, and it does. It it is more the it takes up more of your planning than you think at first. <laughs> oh yeah, because of the way the tiles are lined up. Yeah, for sure. The way you get the tiles is through an auction system. And the way it works is there's always, there's some tiles that are always available, like uh, slot machines and basic restaurants, I think. There's some that are always there. And so, I mean, as long there's big piles, I guess I should say. They can run out, but there's big piles. Yeah, yeah. And so those are always available to be auctioned on. But then there's also four specialty tiles. And so these will be drawn randomly, and they can be like, a steakhouse or a buffet or the, or a, or a nightclub, right? All these cool little add-ons you can have. And there's always four up at any time. And so you're basically bidding on the trap. And so they always have a set price of how much they're going to be, but every turn they're going to drop down in price if nobody buys them. And so if you wait long enough, you can get it really cheap, but of course it's an auction. So you're, you got to compete with these for other people. And that's kind of the core of the game is that auctioning for the tiles. So you're trying to outbid your other players, make sure you get the tile you want. Maybe you want a fake bidding on this one so that they'll bid on it and then you can go for what you really want. And, and you basically go around a turn until everybody is on an unchallenged bid, which means everybody will now get the tile that they want. And there's a couple spaces where like, if you really can't afford it, you can just go there and get a couple of points or something like that. Yeah. So that's the core of the game is auctioning for those tiles and then putting those tiles on the board. And what you're doing is you have a income track and a population track. And so, like I said, influence before, I think this influenced suburbia quite a bit because in suburbia has got like your, mm-hmm. your income and your population and that kind of goes up. You have to keep both up. Yeah. In Vegas Showdown, the reason you've got two is to keep them as balanced as you can because the income you get every round is based on the lower of the two that you've got. So even if your income shoots up through slot machines or whatever, if you're not bringing people in, you're still not going to get the money for it. Right. Yeah. So you've got to keep those both climbing at the same time. And your yeah, so your goal is to build the casino basically once somebody's filled their casino that'll end the game and on each tile it'll tell you how much you can go up in income or how much you can go up in population or how much you can go up in fame which are the overall points and so the fame are the points that you're actually going to win the game with the tiles also have a bit of a tech tree element to them like there's some that you can't build unless you have other ones that's right Uh, yeah the old prerequisites right so you need a restaurant in order to get specialty restaurants like steakhouses or fancy restaurants. Yeah, yeah. You need a lounge before you can have a nightclub, for example. Um, you need basic slots until before you can get fancy slots, things like that. And so you do need to think about what you're buying, and and that actually adds a little bit more challenge to the auction, right? Because you're <laughs> like, I gotta get this this basic restaurant out so I can start getting some of these others and so other people will try to keep you from doing that and not only that but the challenge of the competition of the auction because you're not the only one needing that i mean that oh yeah yeah i remember my adrenaline going hard spiking on uh, certain things yeah for sure yeah yeah the auction is a big part of it it's a big part okay now the other thing that it adds are events and so once a, once one of the four main tiles are bought, you're going to flip over an event card. And that's A, going to tell you what size of tile you should add in next. But it also adds things like, for example, uh, you might get a bonus if you have the highest population or everybody's income is cut in half, you know, things like that. And that feels a little bit more like these mainstream Toys R Us type games would have, right? And so this is kind of where the Hasbro element comes out a little bit. Yeah. You know, the, the kind of like the chance and uh, community chess cards. It's almost <laughs> almost what it's like. But it's not it's not nearly as bad as that. And they they are actually kind of fun. They throw fun little twists into the game that aren't overly 
game breaking. So I really like Vegas Showdown because I like the casino building element. It actually, and of course, I love Las Vegas. I love going to the restaurants there and and going to the tables. And so it's kind of fun to build a little version of that. <laughs> the auction again is it's very interactive because, like Norm was saying, you are going to be competing for it. Everybody wants these tiles, and so it's definitely going to be a little bit of cut, a little bit of cutthroat action there which is pretty fun. It's not like like you're going out and killing their armies type cutthroat, but you know, it's definitely competitive. So auction is the main thing, but you've also got kind of the spatial element. How do you build your, your actual casinos in ways that make sense? How do you fill the gaps? Because um, you get points for things like filling your sections all completely up and stuff like that. And the double track, I think, is a really cool idea, too. The reputation and income track, trying to keep those both up and keep those balanced is, is, is good for your strategy. It's very strategic in that sense. It's not an overly strategic game overall because there are a lot of, you know, chance elements and things. But, hey, it's Vegas. Yeah, but there's... <laughs> Vegas is all about chance. But there's, there's some subtle strategies going oh. on when you're looking at people's relative incomes, right? Where it's like, right. okay, going to an auction, I can push it a little harder because you can't, right? I mean, you're tapped out or, you know, there, yeah. there's, I would just say, situational strategies. And just the money management is big yeah. too, right? Oh. Managing your money and making sure you're not running out at the wrong times. Oh, anytime there's Which an is a auction, very I Vegas suck. thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's Vegas Showdown. I really like it. I think it's a. I don't, honestly, I think it's a top shelf game. I love it. Nice. Well, like you had mentioned, uh, we played it, and I mean, I've only played it once since then, and I recall all the details of the game. And so it's, it's still lingering in my head for sure. I, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. I would, I wouldn't turn down another play. That's for sure. Yeah. This has always been a, we've always had a really fun time with this one and the little kooky, crazy casinos that we've always created. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of each other's casinos and how we lay them out. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, we do that in suburbia too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely, you definitely, there's definitely some suburbia, DNA in the, in suburbia's DNA. There's definitely some of this in that. The uh, and that whole having the hallway have to connect to me that was a, another uh, um, strategic and spatial puzzle. I mean, cause yeah, like you want to make good benefit out of it too, rather than just oh this will do this is fine, right? No, there's, right. There's a yeah, little you want to make decision. it work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kind of like a lumbra with the walls. I always try to make the walls. My goal for Lumber is always to actually have my city closed in. So I'm always being very strategic with that. So <laughs> cool. Well, you know what? Speaking of cities walled in, uh, I'm going to segue into uh, my review of Pandemic Fall of Rome. Uh, this came out in 2018. Um, it is designed by Matt Laycock and Paolo Mori. It, it's one of those uh, special edition games. Uh, every once in a while, they'll they'll put one out. I think uh, Iberia, uh, Pandemic Iberia was one. Uh, Pandemic uh, Rising Tides, I believe. Um, that's the Netherlands or something. Right? Yeah, Rising Tide. I was just looking over it. Yeah, that's the. I have yeah. that one. That's the Netherlands with the, uh, obviously with their their water situation. But this one, Follow Rome. Uh, it's a one to five players play solo. That's probably why I played it um 45 to 60 minutes uh age eight and up um so uh, i'm going to because everybody understands the pandemic thing i'm just going to cut into the flavor text that they give you so combining the cooperative gameplay of pandemic with innovative new mechanisms pandemic fall of rome uses um takes players back in history to the time of the world's greatest empire rome uh, uh, weakened military has left the borders open to invasion from countless tribes such as the Anglo-Saxons, Goths, Vandals, uh, uh, Visigoths, and Huns. As you march through the Roman Empire, you must recruit armies, fortify cities, forge alliances, and face off against the invading hordes in battle. 
Simply defending Rome is not enough. Players must find a way to stop the incursions and find peace with their neighboring people. Uh, players collect sets of matching colored cards to forge an alliance with the different tribes. In doing so, they gain the ability to use cards matching the tribe to convert other members of that tribe into Roman soldiers, furthering the ability of the hold, uh, the hold the line against other invaders. Um, so this take on pandemic um, uses the same idea with the roles you have. I think it's like six or seven different roles that you can play. And in a solo game, you select three. So I've been kind of shuffling through it and like, all the other pandemic games, you have a, you know, a specific uh, uh, power concerned with this individual. And like pandemic, you have four actions. And on this action, you can do specific things like move. Uh, and in this case, you can move, you can attack, and you can, uh, um, if you have a certain card, you can build a fort uh, and, and uh, uh, add defense to that. You can add armies. Um, and uh, what is unique about this game is that simple fact that, uh, like all the pandemic games, um, it's there's that set collecting aspect where in the original you want to kind of eliminate, eradicate a virus. In this game, you forge an alliance. Now, once in the other pandemic games, they would just if you would draw them out of the bag to populate the board, they would just be you know kind of neutered uh, cubes. But in this case. They, it's sort of like the barbarians didn't hear from head command that there was an alliance forge. So they'll continue on attacking Rome. But what you're able to do now that if you have an alliance, you get to go there and you get to recruit them and turn them into soldiers to go on and forge on and battle, which is the unique part mm. that was introduced into this game. And the other unique thing too uh, is that all, like you have the map of Europe and all five tribes start from the north and they each um, have a specific path that that according to all the, you know, the cities on them, the, obviously the map populated with cities and it's kind of a connected dot kind of thing. But each card event card uh, relates to a specific historical event of this, uh, let's say the Huns. Uh, pushing into Europe and uh, the campaign and as far as the campaign went and where the campaign finished. So when you go to, let's say you pull an event and instead of populating, let's say it's a certain city that is very close to Rome, you retrace the invasion track and like all good military campaigns, you cannot put that cube down unless it has a cube that's already there or unless it's connected to that chain, that the invasion chain that starts from the original horde. So it's that whole supply chain has to get built during the game. So you as a, as a player can go in and start cutting off these, these supply chains and sort of like cut the, the, the head off the snake and kind of keep kind of pushing it back and do a contain kind of thing. So there is so much fun to be had with this game as far as how it takes that pandemic system. And I, I mean, everybody calls it the pandemic system. I think it's the forbidden island system because that's where I learned that whole event deck um, have these these tragic, you know, uh, uh, situational, you know, uh, um, epidemics occur and they shut that whole mechanism and they shuffle back in and then you take the, the top deck and recycle it in. What I think which is great about using that system for this theme is that every game is going to be different where the hotspots pop up and you have mm -hmm. to start, you know, uh, um, solving this puzzle differently, right? Um, now, let's, uh, let's get into uh, um, the, uh, the outside end. The box art, uh, to me, has thematically... I mean, you've got the branding of Pandemic, which has to be there because it's a Pandemic game, but uh, it is pretty much boldly representative of the era of Rome. I mean, the two figures that are on the cover have a, you know, I mean, unless it's, you know, it's, it's bad Shakespearean opera or, you know, it's, you can tell what it is. Um, now, uh, going into the game, the um, the components are your typical thing that you would expect from Z-Man and a Pandemic product because Pandemic, I think at this point, 
pandemic has an image to hang on to, right? It's a sol- it's an evergreen title. So their quality cannot dip because they'll they'll get, you know, the somebody'll get chippy with them, right? They'll they'll you know, voices will be voices will be heard kind of thing. So as far as their their uh, um, quality of components goes, awesome. Good cubes, good wood, good cards, good board. Um, uh, nothing flimsy, right? Um, as far as the rule book goes, I think as far as pan, as far as this pandemic series goes and the amount of additions and versions that this game has had, that they've had a good opportunity to fine tune this this learning device called the rule book. And we're three teachers and you, we know that if we have a good lesson and we can hone that lesson down, it's, it's, it's solid, right? It's, it's foolproof. And yeah, you can't poke holes in this rule book. It's, it's, uh, has a great flow, great read, uh, great ability to reference back to certain, you know, uh, um, uh, fringe rules or fringe cases kind of thing that you're, that you're not certain about. Um, as far as the unique mechanism, I think it's that whole, that whole converting recruiting after the alliances made recruiting those uh, uh, barbarians that didn't get the memo into uh, uh, Roman warriors, which is historically accurate. I mean, that's what they did. It was either, you know, be a Roman citizen or guess what? You're having a trip to the Colosseum <laughs> as a slave. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go straight into my conclusions and I'm... I've played Pandemic, the original, not a big fan of the theme because of certain, you know, back, uh, back history. But as far as the, that, that game system goes, I think that is, that is such a, uh, that's like, that's like the 911, the Porsche 911 engine, that, that inline six cylinder perfect engine can go into any vehicle and make it better i think that pandemic system um so far what i've seen in all the versions of these different games that is an awesome game system i i am so impressed with it i can't wait till someone creatively comes comes up with their next little flip on it um like i had mentioned too uh rising tide uh their version their little twist on it is spectacular as well um, so, uh, this, uh, I am so thankful to Ryan. We did ourselves a little mini math trade and, uh, you, uh, uh, well, I'll let you talk about what you got, but I am so happy, Ryan, that, uh, that this is sitting on, on, you know, I'm, I'm going to put this on the top shelf just because there we go. here's the simple fact, just because there's not that much cognitive load, uh, um, to this game, which means that there's. I don't have to put a lot into my working memory before I start playing this game. The system is so intuitive. It's so familiar. I just have to set it up and go, where does this go? Oh yeah, got it. Boom. And I'm playing right away. I'm not having to reread anything. So yeah, this is going on my top shelf. Absolutely. Fall of Rome, uh, pandemic. There you go. I'm glad somebody gets to enjoy it now. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. Well, I am going to jump into a um, older title. Um, it's about you know um, this weekend old. As I just <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I I just got this on uh, Friday. And I've already, Jen and I have already played it like a handful of times and it's been a great experience. And so I'm going to be talking about The Lost Ruins of Arnak, the 2020 release by Czech Games Edition. And it's been designed by first time designers, 
uh, known as Elwin and Min. Now, my background on Elwin and Min is that they've always worked for Czech Games Edition in oh, various hey. departments, and that this is their first crack at uh, at a design. Cool. Um, there's a sleuth of artists to this game, so I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna <laughs> say all of them, and plus, I don't think I can pronounce um, over half their names. So, uh, but the, just just note that there is a, a lot of artists, and they did a very good job on this game. Um, here's the interesting little um, tidbit from the, the little intro that the rule book has to offer. This is a, this is one of the better ones that I've that I've come across. <laughs> Day three, after two fruitless days of searching empty ocean, a smudge on the horizon, barely discernible among the sparkling waves, gave me a glimmer of hope. As we drew nearer, a flock of brilliant scarlet birds flew towards our vessel, chirping and whistling as though in welcome. Consulting her charts, our navigator assured us that this island is indeed as yet uncharted. Her words supported a hypothesis we all silently shared. Those rugged plateaus, that verdant jungle, this could be Arnak. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So, um, the Lost Ruins of Arnak, it's, um, I call it, it's a, it's a mashup of worker placement, resource management, and uh, a, a, a hint of deck building. Um, there is deck building in this game, but it does take kind of like the backseat action that you're going to So, the goal of the Lost Ruins of Arnak is it's a uh, most points wins typing it, it's a it's a euro through and through no that's not the goal <laughs> the goal is what do you get to get those points to win oh is it is, is this foreshadowing yes <laughs> so you win by accumulating the most points that's your victory condition okay there we go <laughs> okay so what are you going to do on your turn is that there is actually a variety of actions that you can take on your turn um, I'm just going to list them all off here. Exploring a location, discovering a new location, defeating guardians, advancing up the research and temple track, acquiring item or artifact cards, using your item or artifact cards, or just simply just passing the passing the round. So on your turn, you have to do one of those things. If you can't do any of the, if you can't do any of them. You have to resort to the last one, which is passing for the round. And so what you kind of do is starting with the star player, you just take turns around and around the table until everybody has passed. And then that that's that's what signals that the that the round ends. Cool. Um, at any time during your turn, um, there are free actions. So things that you can do to buff up your your current action that you're going to take. Um, you can take these things that are called free actions, and they're symbolized on cards and on components with this little lightning symbol saying that if you see the lightning symbol, you can do that for free, and it's not your act. It's not your that hasn't been your turn yet. So, like when games do that, Lagrange does that too. That's, yeah, it's nice because it gives you something just to to focus on while other people are going. Yeah. And it's it's the timing. I'm going to get to that, but it's the timing of those free actions that allows you to kind of do the little things that you want to do. Um, throughout your turns. Um, so yes, like I mentioned, you just kind of take these over and over and over again until the round ends. And at the end of the round, that's when a little bit of end of round cleanup is going to occur. Um, these cards that you have acquired, they're kind of interesting because there's two different types. There's artifacts and then there's items. When you purchase an item card, it goes to, it immediately goes to the bottom of your draw pile. So you got your little play area. But the cards that have not been drawn yet, that's where an item card goes. It goes to the bottom of that draw pile. But if you buy an artifact card, artifact cards are a better type of cards. They're more expensive, but they, they are quite a bit better. Um, you get the benefit of that card right away. So as soon as you pay for the card, you get to do its ability, and then it goes into your play area. Cool. That, that, um, that matters because at the end of the round, all the cards that you get played get shuffled up and then get put to the bottom of your draw pile. And then you draw back up your hand of five cards. 
which is really quite interesting of where these cards are going after you've purchased after where you've uh, after you've purchased them. Um, also, at the end of the round, there I'm going to get into this uh, this thing called the guardians. But if you have a worker that's at a location that has a guardian that has not been defeated, you're going to get a negative one point card that's going to get that's going to clog up your your hand and your deck possibly. Then you just kind of refresh the cards and you start all over again. You do this for five times cool. after five rounds. So I've kind of essentially said what this game does. It, it like the worker placement is that you get two workers, and that's the only two workers you have. And again, that's only one little thing that you can do on your turn. Um, if you want to play a worker, you have to actually use a card. All the cards have a little symbol on them. Yeah. And all the locations on the board have either like a boot, a jeep, or a boat on them and your cards have those same icons so if i want to go to a jeep location i have to spend a jeep card and i can put my guy there get the resources and it's it's funny because it's really quite abstracted what the resources represent so like there's um there's little these little blue arrowheads and then there's um these red jewels and then there's these um um like broken hieroglyphic tablets and those are your main resources um in 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 the game uh, mm-hmm. Along with gold coins and these um, compasses, and the compasses kind of represent your exploration knowledge. Uh, the more compasses you have, that you can spend them to go exploring the lands. Okay. Um, so that's essentially Lost Ruins of Arnak that uh, that um, and how and how it's played. So I'm going to get into a little bit about the art here. The art of this game is stellar. <laughs> it really invokes the um, that quote unquote. Hope I don't get sued. Indiana Jones <laughs> vibe out, out of this out of this game. The um, the uh, the artifacts that you can occur like these. Like there's one card called the War Axe, and it's like oh man, it, it, it's this big massive club with these like shark teeth coming out of it, and the artwork is is is, is amazing. Um, if, I don't know if you guys have pulled it up on BG or not or anything, but it, it, it's very good. I kudos to that team. Of designer of, of illustrators that I can't pronounce. <laughs> um, the box is, uh, it's not not that standard ticket to ride size <laughs> box. It's one of those game boxes that's longer. It, it it's longer and narrower. Is it the same the, box size as Underwater Cities? Yes, that's exactly the one that I that's, wanted to go that's with. That's their thing, because Shipyard, uh, same company, Shipyard has that size. So I think that's their that's their gaming company thing. Is that's that's their shoebox. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly the one that I was trying to think of. That I was like, oh, this one, it, it's going to fit somewhere on the shelf that matches this box size. I know I have somewhere. <laughs> um, okay, the components are out of this world, amazing, cool. especially for the price point of this game the, the the price of what i so what i got it for is like 50 dollars canadian so and you get these you actually get plastic components like these plastic arrowheads and these plastic tablets and these plastic jewels very tactile and, and the the cardboard is thick the cards have that nice linen finish to them um the board is it's a, it's a gigantic board it's a table hog of a board and everything that you get in this game is just top-notch production. I would have expected in the past, like a game like this would have cost easily like seventy dollars Canadian. Oh and yeah. And this one's this one's and this one's got only about fifty bucks, which is really great. Rule book. Guess what, guys? I actually learned how to play this game from the rule book, <laughs> which says something to me. And the rule book is very clear. It's very colorful, very bright. Lots of examples, very well illustrated, no wasted space, Good. nice gloss, nice glossary at the end of the at the back of the book of um, card effects and symbology. Uh, one of the better rule books that I've that I've come across in a long time. Right on. Okay, the gameplay, smooth, very smooth, and nothing groundbreaking. Um, we've played this type of game a ton of times over before. And this is one of those good examples of a game where it requires you to be very efficient with the resources that you have. Like, I'm going to have this, 
And okay, and Ian likes to do this with Terra Mystica where he lines up all his stuff <laughs> to plan out his turns. And I found myself doing exactly that of, okay, these these ones are going to pay for that action and these things are going to go that. And I know that this worker is going to go get those things. And so I've got a term uh, for that. You were spreadsheeting. You're physically spreadsheeting on him in, in, in front of you. I All know. Right. And it's and it's not an overly complex. Now, I do we do that with like complex games. Terramisk yeah. is a complex game. This is not a complex game, but there's so many different things that you can do with these resources. Um. So, yeah. And this is one of those things where you just like, oh, I just want to do just one more thing. I wish I could just do that one more thing. And I only have, but I'm one arrowhead short. I or hate I'm one feeling. <laughs> I'm one gold piece oh. short. And th this game, it, it does that over and over and over again to you. But luckily, there's lots of different things that you can do to, oh, if I take that action, it's going to get me that one thing that I need. Oh, now I can do that. Oh, now that's going to trigger me to be able to do this. So there's comboing in this game. Cool. It's really quite, really quite neat. Um, so one thing that we came across, uh, when Jen and I have been playing our two player games, um, there's a plethora of these free actions. There's lots of different things that have these lightning bolt symbols that these are free actions and I can do this and this. We often forgot that we haven't actually taken an actual main action yet because we've taken so many free actions and then we're like, then Jen would just be sitting there and she'd be like, and I'm like, have you done your main action yet? Oh no, I haven't. <laughs> so I just wish there was kind of just like a little thing that I don't know. We just end up just taking like the first player marker and like turning it over or something like that, saying, "Hey, okay, you've done your action. Okay, you've done your main action." Um, that's just. I think that's just may have been us. But there is a lot of little things that you think that are main actions, but they're actually free to do on your turn. Um, like I said, the deck building aspect of this game is in the back seat. And what I mean by that, so I, when you acquire those items, they have specific places where they go. Like the item card goes to the bottom of your draw pile. The artifact gets used and then goes into your play area. At the end of the round, it gets shelved. When you buy, like typically in deck builders, when you buy a card, um, you're going to see it multiple times throughout the game. Yeah. In this one, you don't. You may only, depending on when you bought it, like an early, if an item that you bought early on, and in a five-round game, you might only get to use it two or three times Ooh. in this one. And if you buy an item late in the game, you might not actually ever get to play it. You might just bought it just for the points. I was going to say, yeah, at least there's points, right? This is where the artifacts kind of come in play. Because when you buy the artifact, you get to use the power right away. And then it gets shuffled into your play cards, goes to the bottom. You might only ever get to use that card one more time in the entire game. So oh, wow. really quite interesting in the in the item and artifacts card by. So that's why I say deck building is it's not the core um, gameplay. Even though everything you're doing takes cards to play. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not the main main thing. The theme of this game is very abstracted. Um, on top of all of these mechanisms and everything like that, but there's still room for the very interesting narrative storytelling <laughs> really? that we like to do. As in, like, when I'm going up the... Re there's this research track, and it has all these resources that, you know, like, why do I need to pay these resources to go up on this research track? Oh, I need the hieroglyphics. Oh, this one says you need two hieroglyphic tablets. Well, but because I had to find those, and I had to decipher something, and then a secret door opened to allow me to go into the further. Like, I, I, I abstracted that myself. Uh, oh, I needed a red Jew. I needed a red ruby to go up to this on this pathway. Oh, this because I had to stick the ruby in the door that opens up another <laughs> path. I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about these things, but it's very awesome. abstracted. Um, the fact okay. that your math brain went into a narrative, I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are kind of rubbing off on me a little bit. Yay! Here. Um, some people may call this a point salad type of game because there's you can acquire points many many different ways um there's these idle tokens so every time you discover a new location and you open it up to the board you get an idle token and it's worth three points at the end of the game and you can also spend that idle token to take some free actions you still get to keep the points but they also open up free actions those are worth three points a piece um the monsters the guardians whenever a new location comes out a guardian comes up 
and then there you can spend some resources usually arrowheads kind of like military type of resource yeah um will defeat the guardian and then each guardian you defeat is worth five points at the end of the game item and artifact cards are worth one to three points and then there's the research track <laughs> this is probably my big beef of the game um the research track there's two tokens that are going up this research track you got a magnifying glass and a notebook and i can't remember exactly what the um what they represent um but depending on the position where they are on this track at the end of the game they're going to each of those are going to score you points like the magnifying glass could score you if you're near the top 16 points in your notebook could score you four points depending on where they are yeah and there's different levels this seems like a very very strong strategy in this game is to advance on that research track and this is so we've already played this about five times and in all of my games whoever whether jen and i whoever's pushed up the farthest on that track has won quite handedly okay so i'm just saying like when i mean like handedly like the points from my our research track were either a third or a half of all of our points in the whole game so it's a, big, quite a, it's a big swing then. It can be a big swing. Okay. So Game's broken. Send it back. <laughs> I'm getting there, Ian. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, my, my one thought was that if you, if you completely ignored the research track and you tried focusing on, like, say, defeating guardians and discovering locations, um, I don't think that there's enough of a catch-up. I don't think there's enough points to be gained there to make if, if somebody pushed there all the way up to the, the research track. On that note... There is another side of the board. So there's the board is double-sided. The research track on the other side of the board, the one they call the advanced board, much better. Okay. It balances out the things that I had the problem with on the front side of the board because it's much more expensive and much more costly to advance on that research where um, I said that you had to get those idle tokens yeah. when you discover, well, certain sections require you to give up those points those idle points to go up on the research track. Mm. And so um, we found that it was much harder to go up the research track on that. And so we found ourselves doing other things. So once the training wheels were off, they flipped the board. I'm going to just say, just go straight to the advanced board. <laughs> You're going to save yourselves a headache because on that basic board, whoever's going up on that research track is, and it's easy to go up on it is going to win the game. Okay. Go straight to the advanced board. There's nothing different other than um, the, the, the various it, costs. Tightens it up. Okay. Cool. Um, the variability is okay in this game because all of the location tiles, there's a big old stack of location tiles. And when you go to discover a new location, um, you're going to pull one of those tiles, and now it's available for the rest of the game for everybody. And I know this might play out more in a three or four player game but in a two player game there's not that many new locations being discovered unless if somebody's deciding they are going to discover a lot of locations mm -hmm. and so um just the types of locations that come out is going to be is going to be huge and especially there's a big old stack and there's still going to be lots of tiles left over that are never going to get used in in a, in a game so the variability is actually quite high and plus all the artifacts and item cards are going to come up those are big stacks of cards you're never going to see all of them so the variability is actually really really quite high in this game um so my conclusion for this game and um jen has even said it this is her favorite game of the year so far that she's played this year all right like her, her, her favorite new game cool I'm, I'm in there i say this will be my favorite game if i never play that basic side of the board ever again <laughs> <laughs> I have to play that advanced side just because it balances out that that research track and going and being able to go up there. Um, but overall, this is not a top shelf game, but it's definitely not one that we're going to be getting rid of any day. Um, this is going to sit happily in the middle shelf. It's um, going to be one of those games you just kind of you know pull out time to time because it's very familiar. Yeah, and you can just pull it off like you just kind of mentioned norm you can just pull it off the shelf you just set it up and you just go yeah there's not going to be very much rules overhead it's very easy on your work and memory yeah yeah there's not there's a lot of because like, there's worker placement very minor deck the resource management's the really heart of this game cool and yeah the lost ruins of arnak we're really enjoying it there's been a lot of hype about this game around like board game geek and different forums and uh, discord chats and stuff like that so 
glad that I was able to get a copy because Amazing Stories is already sold out. <laughs> <laughs> and right. I think Dragon's Den also already sold out this past weekend when Holy they brought gross. it in. So right I think on. the hype I think the hype is there for it. Good. And I really hope people enjoy it because and I really hope people discover that just play with the advanced board. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they play enough, they'll figure that out. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, just like me there. Like, I'm almost said, like, after, like, the first three games, I was almost I'm like, well, whoever's going to go up on the highest on the re- the research track is definitely going to win. So we both know we have to do that. Then we flipped the board over. I said, oh, there's another. And we're like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> that changed it. Me likes. But, yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah that one sounds interesting. It, it, it's definitely like like I said, it's it's not it's not a heavy game, and it's not a light. It, it, it's not. A, I don't even call it a middleweight game. Yeah, it's really hard to place it on the um, the heaviness and complexity scale. This is all almost borderline gateway in the mechanisms that it uses, but there it's it's a lot heavier in strategy. Especially on the advanced side, I'm going to keep saying the advanced side of the board. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we'll just we'll just understand that's your default. That sounds cool. There sounds like there's a lot of cool tactical choices you got to make too. So right on. And the, oh, that that the, that's painstaking, Norm. Just that I want to do that one more thing. Oh, I want to go up one you, more step. Yeah. I want to go up one more step I on the research track this one round. One more coin. I just need one more this. I, one more. Yeah, that's the. Story. If I had one, if I had one more compass, I could discover a new location before the end of the round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Resource angst. I have it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, um, this brings us to the the part of the show that we always. Thank the listener for uh, participating in all of what we have to blather on about. And uh, I say that so uh, so politely. Um, uh, I hope uh, any one of these reviews has uh, has inspired you to go um, either do more research or go out and, and like Ryan said, uh, see if there's any copies at your local game stores left. <laughs> but uh, uh, I've been, I'm your host, Norm. Why do there have to be snakes? I've been Ryan. (laughs) And I'm Ian. And we'll catch you later. This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.